Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Billie Jean, it is it is such an immense pleasure to to have you. I you have you have enabled me to fulfil a New Year's goal quicker than ever before in my life. It's January the fifth, and I've already achieved my one goal for the year, which is to interview you for the podcast. So thank you so so much for uh, for being with us. It's such an honour. Um, I just remember um, Ilana bugging me about listening and and. Uh, doing it. And um, Mary Carrillo bugged us, bugged Ilana, and then Ilana bugged me. And so I started listening to the tennis podcast. And it's you guys are hilarious. You and David and Matt. Oh, my. It's so adorable. You guys get along so well. It's just so great, the chemistry. And then also um, where you come from, a little different point of view. Obviously, you're a girl. They're not. They're a boy, whatever. That helps, too. To have balance, I think. So anyway, it's just fantastic. Um, anyway, it's such an honor and privilege for me to be on the Tense Podcast. And I didn't realize you've been going, I think, since what, 2012 even or some ridiculous. I've got, I'm never going to catch up. I made <laughs> such an effort the last few days. I think I've listened maybe to nine or 10 hours oh so goodness. far. But I have, I have a long way to go because I plan to go back and look at all of them and check oh. out. Uh, no, I love history. I love, um, I just listen to the Althea Gibson one. Thanks for sending me the information. Um, that was fantastic. You had Zena and Leslie and uh, Richard Evans story was great. Cause I've known Richard forever. I did not know that about that. He had met Althea when he was a rookie. Uh, so it's wonderful. Well, history's kind of, it's become our thing this year or last year, rather in the absence of any live tennis. Um, and we've, We've loved it being our thing, you know. Even even now, live tennis is mercifully returned and returning. Um, history, I think, is still going to be a be a big part of what we do. And that's actually that's actually where I wanted to start because one of our most recent podcast series was was called Sliding Doors Tennis, focusing on little moments or maybe bigger moments in tennis history that, had they gone a different way, would have altered the whole whole course of tennis history. And of of course. Well, I say, of, of course, but I speculated about what the world, what the tennis world would have been like had you not won the Battle of the Sexes. Um, and I know that there was that quote from you a few years ago saying that if you thought that if you lost that match, you'd lose everything. Um, 
Tell me what you think might have happened if you'd lost that match. Well, there was a lot going on in the United States, too. Uh, we had Title IX the year before, which for the first time, women got athletic scholarships. And also, more importantly, it was about education. Everybody thought it was about sports, but it's about education. And that we had classroom quotas before this. For instance, if you wanted to go to Harvard Medical School, um, they only allowed 5% women in the classroom. That all changed with Title IX. So any school, private or public, high school, college or university that received any federal funds had to spend it equally for boys and girls for the very first time. And the wonderful addition was women finally got athletic scholarships. Men have had them forever. I mean, Harvard started, I think, in 1636. And so they've been, and of course they say we don't do scholarships, but they do grants and they do all kinds of stuff that still is the same as. Uh, So that had just happened. Women could not get a credit card on their own in 1973 when I played Bobby September 20th at the Astrodome in Houston. And (laughs) I would have never played him. He kept following me around for the first couple of years of when we started the Virginia Slims tour women's professional tennis, as you know it today. And I kept saying, Bobby, I don't have time. We, I, I, we don't, I'm not getting any sleep now. We have meetings all the time. We're trying to make this tour happen. I can't, I no, I don't want to play you. <laughs> and finally uh, he asked, I think Chris Everett, Nancy Ritchie, others. And he finally got to Margaret court and Margaret said, yes, because the check was pretty good size. I keep hearing anywhere from 10 to 35. She told me, I swear she told me 35, but maybe not. Maybe I have that wrong. But anyway, in those days, that was a humongous amount of money. Uh, so I said to Larry, my husband at the time, I said, Larry, if she, she I know she's going to win because she's so much better than he is. I mean, it's not even close, but you never know. And sure enough, she's probably played the worst tennis she's ever played in her life. I've, I, I never, I mean, I saw a couple of, t- little bit of a tape of the match and I went, Oh my God, she couldn't even get her her arm through. And we, we've all been there. We've all choked, totally choked. Uh, and it's a horrible feeling. And I felt, wow, I felt so sorry for her. But on, on the other hand, I said, Larry, I don't have a choice now. We're only in our third year of women's professional tennis. We just started the, uh, the WTA four days before Wimbledon in 73. 73 was a huge pivotal year in tennis. Uh, so, so anyway... I had to play and I knew it was going to be huge. I just knew it was going to touch the hearts and minds of people. And with all the women's movement going on at that time, it was our second wave, Gloria Steinem, Bella Abzug, those uh, particular people were at the forefront. Uh, Betty Friedan had started in 63 uh, with uh, Feminine Mystique. Uh, She was the first wave. So the three of them were in there. The women's movement's going strong as ever. Um, very difficult time to speak out, though. Um, I've always felt like I've been on a tightrope my whole life trying to, because it's the most important thing is you don't want to lose your audience. Otherwise, there's nobody there to talk to. So I knew how important this match was. And of course, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger as the, you know, the weeks leading up to it. Um, and it was the talk of everybody. I mean, everybody was betting. Everybody was going to have parties out in the burbs. The schools were, you know, the fraternities and sororities were going to get together and have parties. I mean, it was huge. And then I knew also outside of our country, there was some interest as well. And we had, you know, 90, at least 90 million people watched the match. So you were, I knew that I was going to, the most people ever I knew were going to watch this match. That this is my one opportunity to help advance 
um, equality. And I knew I had to win this match. Also, we're only in our third year of women's professional tennis. And I was worried about if, if I don't win, what's going to happen to the tour? So this is not about me. This is about everything I believed in and, and others, the other players. Um, so anyway, beating him and beating him in straight sets, because I said I want to play three out of five, because I knew he'd use that against me if we only played two out of three. I knew his psyche pretty well. He didn't bother me. I understood him. Uh, he's one of my heroes. He won the Triple Crown in 39. He played mixed with Alice Marble, who I also knew, and it helped me when I was a youngster. Uh, so I knew his history. I knew he was a contract pro. I knew he had helped sign Pancho Gonzalez to a contract. I mean, I, I love, you know, I love my history. So I love this guy and he's my hero, but then I have to deal with him, his shenanigans and talking and he loved the, he loved the attention. He'd never gotten any attention. You know, World War II came around when he was at his peak. So he never was appreciated as much as he should have been. Um, Pauline Betts is another player. Um, so I understood him, I think, and uh, I knew a lot about him and he knew nothing about me, which is very, very, um, it's, it's general because what happens with a dominant group, which is male here, they have more power. It's about power. And dominant groups know very little about subdominant groups. Subdominant groups, on the other hand, know a lot about the power of people because we have to navigate all the time to survive. So I thought that was an advantage for me, actually, that I knew more about him than he knew about me. We'd never hit a ball against each other because I said, well, I've never hit against him. And then I thought, oh, well, he hasn't hit against me either. So that's OK. We're even. Uh, so I do like I do like big occasions. I. This was something that actually was an, um, a no brainer as far as if I could win what maybe it could do. So anyway, by beating him, uh, we, you couldn't get on a tennis court the next week. That's how much tennis grew. This is about the sport, not just about names in the sport. This is about helping tennis. Tennis is a great sport. It's, uh, they just did some recent studies. It's considered the healthiest sport uh, out there. So um, it's a lifetime sport. So just getting people in the game, getting interested in professional tennis, being so young, you know, getting him really excited about our sport. Uh, so our sport absolutely took off after that match. So to your point, talking about what would have happened if I didn't, uh, it just would have cemented the men. It was no athletic feat to beat him. I always said that. It was 55. It's, he's fact, in fact, he was the same age as my father. He was born in 1918, the same year. So I always said that to them. This is not, a, for, from an athletic point of view, this is, Listen, we and the women have never said we can beat the best. You know, the women have never said we can beat the best guys ever. We've never said it. The guys keep saying, oh, you keep saying that you can be. No, we don't. We never have. You can't find one quote where women said we're better uh, than the men, especially the top men. Are you kidding? Wouldn't even be close. So um, <laughs> it's like. So anyway, it was really great that I won. And every I said, I said to Larry at the time, I said, you know, if I lose this match, I'm always going to be the girl who lost to that guy. And of course, you can't remember names. You know, by the time five years go by, three years go by, people go, who's that? You know, that tennis match. You know. So you, you know that it's not a big deal, but yet it is a big deal at the moment. And if you can make a difference, you know, I wanted to make a huge difference. And I do think it made a difference. I think it I think it catapulted our sport to becoming as popular as it is now. And I think 
if you look at history, it's always relevant to to now. And people don't connect very often on that, and they need to. Uh, that was very, very important. It was very relevant to what's going on today because you don't know which direction we would have gone. But I know there would have been a lot less people interested in our sport. And what happened from that match is that Jimmy Connors and Newcomb and these other players started having these one-off matches at, in Las Vegas to make a lot of money. They saw that I made $100,000. And they go, oh, well, I got to cash in on that. So they created these one-off matches like at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas and made a, a ton of money. Jimmy told me. And then Jimmy played Martina. I don't know if you know that. Did you know that they played a match? No. Later, many years later, they played at Caesars Palace, 14,000 people. They put, it was outside. Um, and it was like, it only had 14,000 seats. That's what they filled it. And I went to see the match, but Jimmy had given Martina the, the tram lines. And I was helping Martina at the time as a part-time coach, Craig Carden was her full-time coach. And I said, I don't know if you should do that. It might put you off, but it gave her more space, right? On each side to hurt him. And I think it bothered her. Um, Jimmy, he won, but it was tight. They were so hyperventilating. They were so nervous. Uh, they could hardly breathe. And you could see that, oh my gosh, you could, it was at night, the match, you could see this, the, when they would ex, exhale the air. And I got, oh my God, they're so nervous. And Lana and I went and, talk to Jimmy the next day because we're tight with both of them very close to both Martina and Jimmy and Jimmy said to us don't ever I don't care how much money I don't care about any don't ever let me play a match like that again do not and I said why and he says I can't take it it's so nerve-wracking I will never do that again I will never do it again for I don't care how much money I could never live through that again it was so nerve-wracking and it was it I and I totally understood what he was going through because of what I had been through, um, you know, in 73. So, um, but I'll just never forget Jimmy just yelling at us. Don't ever let, us, <laughs> let me play that kind of match again. I can sort of hear, I can hear his voice kind of saying oh, he's that. He's great. Jimmy's great. We're tight with, we, we love Jimmy. I, um, so. I, I, I read a quote from you saying that you, you felt like you hadn't found your voice completely at the time of the Battle of the Sexes and, and, doing that and winning that enabled or helped enable you to to find your voice how how different could things have been for you personally um if you hadn't played it or if you hadn't hadn't won well you know when you start something like the women's tour or the men's tour or whatever it's so um different than what people experience today and they can't kind of imagine how it was and so this match with over 90 million people seeing it uh, allowed me to speak, but I also was very careful in how I spoke. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, Frank Gifford, who was great American, you know, NFL football or American football player, was now doing broadcasting, and he interviewed me. And I'll never forget him saying, and are you a feminist? Okay, this is 1973, so it's kind of setting a scene. So I, in this nanosecond in my brain, I thought, if I say I'm a feminist, I'm going to lose three quarters of the audience. Okay, boom, 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 like that. It's like a quick volley at net. And um, I said, I am for the women's movement because it's good for all of us. It's going to give people uh, equal opportunity and all that. But if I had said I'm a feminist, I would have lost everybody. Today, that would be simple, easy peasy. I'd say, yes, of course I'm a feminist. Of course I was a feminist, but. 
I did not want to turn off the people. This is the one moment in my life that I had a huge, huge audience to try to help not only, you know, my, just help the, that we could get, have equality. We could help the women's tour. We can help the men's tour. We can help the sport. We can get more people at the grassroots level playing, which I think is really important because I know it's healthy, but more importantly, where are we going to get our future champions? We need a critical mass of kids playing to get the best athletes. So my brain's going like this, like a mile a minute. And so um, that's, that's why it was so important. But you can see it when I had, when I spoke, and if you look at old, and I didn't realize this because I've been working on a book. So I had to look at old, I finally had to look at things. I never used to read my press clippings since I was 15, because my dad wouldn't allow it, because I had an incident where I hadn't made the front page of the Long Beach when the, you know, and I couldn't understand. And finally, I made, you know, my name was on the front page, and I lost love and love in the first round to Carol Loop. And I would just go, how can I put that on the front page? I won all these terms. And my dad said, just stop. Um, And he just got very calm and said, okay you're reading about that match uh when was that match i said yesterday he goes right and what's his end that's history right i go yes he goes what matters is what you do today and tomorrow not what happened yesterday so i don't want you to read anything else ever about yourself okay or look at anything and so i said okay i think that's a good idea i I agreed with him i thought you know, he's right. That's history. It's over. I bet it's what I do today that matters and what I do tomorrow, but particularly today now. So that really helped. So recently I've had to start looking at things and like, Oh, if you look at old, if you look at old interviews, I spoke very, very softly, like very like careful, a little bit afraid. How do you keep your audience? Um, Also I was, going through a lot of stress emotionally. Um, I had a lot on my mind. So I completely changed after that match. I finally also being becoming number one really helped just like as a child, I was dreaming if I could ever become number one at 13, maybe people will listen, but I knew I had to be number one, particularly because I'm a girl, but I knew I was a white girl, which I knew was an advantage um, compared to my black sisters. Um, or Latinx now we'd say as well, or people of color. Um, I knew that at a very young age um, because of the segregation challenges in our country and seeing it on TV. Because I came from Southern California, I came, I was raised in a very different environment than if I'd been born in the Southeast. And I thank God every day I was born in California. Um, I used to watch like Ruby Bridges going, trying to go to school as as a black child and couldn't even, I mean, they're spitting on her. They're yelling at her. I saw the, you know, the Little Rock Nine. Uh, all these things were going on. I just hated it. You know, and I knew at 13, even my own sport. But guess what happened? I got, I met, I got to see Althea Gibson play about, I might have been that same week even, um, at the Pacific Southwest in L.A., all the best players would go would play the U.S. Nationals, which is now the U.S. Open. And then the second biggest tournament for them in the States was the Pacific Southwest, which was played at the Los Angeles Tennis Club. So we as children, young juniors, got to see the best players in the world, which is amazing that that, that, that could happen. Um, and not only did I get to watch them, I got help from them. Like Alice Marble, I didn't get to watch her play because she was older when I went, but... 
I got to see Althea Gibson actually play. She was really tall, long arms. And I call Venus, and when I, I used to tease Venus, I used to say, you know, you're the 21st century Althea Gibson, don't you? With your, with your wingspan and your, your height and your, you're thinner and, you know, you, you guys have similar builds. And, you know, I said, you're the 21st century Althea Gibson. We used to laugh. So anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a fun way to teach history to the players, like especially when I was captain of the Fed Cup, I, I would ask them all kinds of questions and try to get them to think, you know, um, like here's a typical question I'd ask in the locker room. Okay, when was the first year that a black person could play in the USLTA tournaments? And they're going, I go, it's not a test. It's not a contest. It is a learning experience. So don't get hung up that you have to get anything right. So go for it. And so I think I had, Mary, let's see, Mary Jo, Venus, Serena, Monica, Sellis, I think. I thought, just, just say anything. It doesn't matter. And they, and they go, 1975. I said, no, not quite. Da, 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 da. And they tried different, you know, 1960. Everything was much closer to their age, you know, when they guessed. It was really enlightenment. And I said, okay, well, do you know who the first black player was? Anyway, so it was 1950. The black players were allowed to play in the U.S. Nationals for the first time. And who, it was Althea Gibson. But see, Venus and Serena knew that one. They knew it was Althea, which was good. You know, which is good. But uh, I get a little upset when white people don't know these things as well. Mary Jo might have known, I'm not sure. But she's, you know, she's Latinx person, so. It's great. They, she always helped me with my speeches when I had to speak in Spain. They made me get up and speak in Spanish. And of course, <laughs> I don't speak it. It's one of my it's one of my basket lists: uh, piano and Spanish. And I never get to it because I'm always working. Yeah, Spanish has been on my list for about 15 years now. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> a lot younger. This, maybe this year. I, I love it. I love Spanish, Italian. I mean, I love other languages. If I were a child, if I were a young person today, I would I would learn. Spanish, um, Mandarin, Hindi, probably try to at least have three or four languages. And the one thing I learned from the Europeans is that they all could speak at least five, generally. Uh, not the British, but the rest. The, no, the rest. not the British, the Europe, Europeans. I used to say you can't. Oh, it's yeah. breaking my heart. Yeah. So anyway, I learned that, you know, like whether it's Martina or any of the players, Betty Stowe, Francoise Dewar, um, the ones I hung out with. On um, on the tightrope and the the not wanting to alienate your audience, do you do you ever still feel like you have to do that, or do you feel like you can speak completely freely now? Mm, probably always have part of me is still there, because the one thing I want is to have exchange of information. Ideally, when I'm talking with someone like you and I right now, um, I want us to be. Um, comfortable to a point comfortable but also be able to be your authentic self um is much better now today than it was when i was uh growing up and i think there's probably a part of me that still does that but even though i probably don't need to Mm. the you don't know this but um you gave me one of the possibly the greatest most useful piece of advice i've ever heard it was given to me via Mary Carrillo. 
Um, (laughs) And that is to stay in the room. No matter how toxic that room might feel, no matter how stunk up with misogyny the room feels, stay in the room. So I was hoping you could firsthand explain to me why it is so important to stay in the room. Because we need representation from everyone, not just one group. Um, A lot of people talk about getting a seat at the table. You know, usually we're just on the menu and then we get a seat, seat at the table, but it's the voice at the table that's magical. You can get a seat at the table. This happens all the time. You just sit there the whole time and agree with everybody. And another thing that happens to women quite all the time when they told me this is that they'll have a great idea and some guy will say it, you know, you'll explain it to him and he goes, great, great, great. And then he's, he'll be in the boardroom and then he says it and he said, Oh yeah, it's my idea. That's not the right thing to do. He should say, you know, I was talking to Donna, Susie, Catherine, whatever, and she said it, but I thought it was a good idea. That's the right thing to do, but no. And the women say it happens over and over, but I also like women to be in sports because I think if a woman's in a sport, that she understands the men's culture who created sports. They created business. They're the ones really, the, at least the really powerful businesses. And we need to understand them and understand how to navigate and understand what they're really saying between the lines. Uh, and because I've been in sports my whole life, being around a dad who played basketball, which is my first love. And then of course, around my younger brother, uh, Randall James Moffat Moffat's my birth name. Um, our birth name, uh, and him being a professional baseball player for 12 years um, in the major league baseball, which is huge in America. Um, I've been around sports my whole life. And my mom, um, who did never talked about it until she was like 80, said, Oh, you know, I used to beat the boys running and I used to, uh, you know, be, you know, swim 15 feet waves, you know, and, and down in Long Beach, California, where we we're born and raised before they had breakwater. And it's like, really mom, where have you been? speak up but she was typical woman of her generation and I used to kind of always dig her to speak up more and she would speak up when she wanted to man she spoke up everybody listened um but she was also the peacemaker in the family and I used to say you have to you know see my generation's pushing her generation to um not always do that you know it's like you have a right to say whatever you want and be the the big wig for a moment too, you know, but she let my dad be the, be the one. Uh, and my brother and I now talk about my mother, like, Oh my God, we didn't understand. She's the one that got us to our tournaments or a baseball game. Um, and she didn't watch either, which was wonderful. My parents gave us space. And I think that's why we were able to be great in what we did, because first of all, we we're blessed. God gave us great coordination and we knew it and we knew it was a blessing and not to, not to blow it, not to, you know, be, use it. Uh, and But we're so highly motivated. We just, my poor parents, our poor parents, we just push them. Like, we're, I mean, when, Rand, when, when Randall announced at the, at the dinner table that, and when he was 10 years old that he wanted to be a Major League Baseball player, they're like, huh, not you too. They put their, you know, put their, their heads in their hands and went, oh, my, both of you? Oh my God. They're just like, could not believe it. So they said, well, we'll do whatever we can to support you, but we're limited. We have limited funds, but we'll do what we can. But because in Long Beach, California, they had access 
not only to the courts or to a baseball field, they had access, access in coaching. So we were so blessed to be born and raised in Long Beach, California. Long Beach people were the ones that championed both of us, but championed me that, I mean, without them, I would have not be talking to you today. And I remember um, how thankful I was to so many different people. Clyde Walker was my first coach at the rec parks. And he was, I always talked to him every day. I mean, he passed when I was 17 from cancer. So that was rough. Um, but without the people of Long Beach, you know, we had the Long Beach tennis patrons. We had the Long Beach Century Club. They helped pay for my way to Wimbledon for the first time because my dad was a firefighter. He couldn't give me the money to go to Wimbledon. And we, we didn't have pro tennis yet, which I've always, I've enjoyed your historical moments uh, on the, on the tennis podcast. But I also, when I hear you listen, you know, listen and talk about today, it's so amusing to me in my generation. We we're always amused because the way people talk now, they don't really know their history. And when they, I get so irritated, I get so irritated at the television when they put up the grand slams and uh, how many they've won and Rod Laver has won 11. Well, they keep for, they need an asterisk. Other sports do asterisks. We don't do asterisks. Okay. If you guys could help shape the future, get some asterisks in there. When, when you see Rod Laver's at 11, everyone, if you, unless you say he was a contract pro for five years and missed 20 opportunities to win a major, then I'm not interested in those. I don't want them up there because they're not right. What's right is to say, you know, Federer is, or, or Nadal or whatever who's got the most is great. But please, do, they don't really, you don't know. You'll never know. So please, I, I think there's so much of this, too much of this is on the majors. And so you guys talk about, I mean, everybody talks about majors, but you have to understand we used to skip majors so we could have professional tennis. So I get so irritated. It's my generation, all of us, we go, God, this gets so irritating. You know, we were playing the Virginia Slims of San Francisco during the Australian. So it's like, what do you do? What do, what would you do if you, okay, Catherine, and, and if David or Matt were there, or if they're there. Um, okay, you can play the Virginia Slims of, 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 um, of San Francisco, or you can go to the Australian and try to win a major. What? Nobody was there, but it's considered a major. So what, what would you have done? Would you sacrifice pro tennis in the tour to go play a major and say, oh, I won a major? Would you have done that? I mean, have you, have you, looked, at, have you looked at the people who won the majors back in the old days? Have you actually looked? Well, that is, I don't know if it frustrates, does it frustrate you when the inevitable, every time Islam comes around, the inevitable comparison of Serena and, and Margaret Court and, and, and the 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 draws. Yes, I get irritated because every, like my dad and mom said, every generation is better. I, when I played, my job was to make Chris and Martina better. Okay. For the next generation. And then their job is to make the next generation better. That's part of their job. It's not all of it, obviously, because they don't want to be champions and all that. But we, we were in a situation. Do you create a tour and, not win majors or do you go in majors and not have a tour and not have a professional opportunity? I mean, to me, it's simple, right? It's easy peasy, but you guys never talk about it. It's like, you know how irritating that is. It's like, 
like Rod Laver, with, uh, first of all, Jack Kramer had a con- had a uh, contract pro circuit. That they were the best players. The men, the women didn't have that opportunity. So just forget the women for a minute. The men were the best players in the world. I remember I was 12 years old going to the Pan Pacific Auditorium to watch Poncho Gonzalez, Tony Trevitt, Lou Hode. Jack Kramer was the, the promoter at that time. I don't think he was still playing. And I knew at 12, these guys were the best in the world. I didn't care that somebody was winning a slam in 1960 or 59 because they weren't the best. So I get so, I mean, I'm a 12 year old and I understand this. And yet our community cannot even understand this. And everything that happened before, the reason I want everyone to understand history and the way the reason I read history as a child. I mean, I can tell you every champion at Wimbledon, I get so irritated though. I just get really irritated. Then we had world team tennis during the 70s and the 80s is still going actually. Um, and we miss the French every year. If you look at the 70s, if you look from 74 to 78 and look who won the French, you'll see that they're not probably not your A-plus players. I don't think Chris, Chris Martina, myself, all of us were playing uh, world team tennis. Virginia Wade even played because there was money. Um, so if you don't know that, if you don't understand the history, then you don't understand. I mean, how did Margaret Court ever win 11 Australians? Because nobody was there. As Mary put it, she, she played her cousins. I went, I went there and lost to her. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You, you, unless you've got all the top players and also understanding what was going on in the sport that we had, we're trying to have, make pro tennis uh, happen. And the reason the Federers of the world and the Dolls of the world and the Halops of the world and all the women have what they have today is because of those actions back then. And I just wish once, Nobody seems to be able to go back any farther now than Chris Everett, Martina, um, Jimmy, and Mac. That's it. They can't. You, you. They, they can't go. They can't go back any farther than that. And yet, as a child, I would talk about um, Dorothy Round, or uh, I would talk about Kay Stammers, or I would talk about uh, you know Margaret Osborne, Louise Bruff, Maureen Conley, Doris Hart, Shirley Fry, and that's just the women. I can name the men too. And I knew all about them, and, and, and I wanted to know what, what they were like. I mean, I even played against Margaret DuPont when I was 15. I got to play against these great players. And I don't think the players today, they, they're just in their own, like, and they're great. And when you get to talk to them, they're fantastic people. They're fantastic. It's just that they, I want a rookie school at the WTA. I don't know what the ATP does, but, and they don't seem to want it. So with, the Fed Cup being renamed Billie Jean King Cup, I'm thinking, how can we make a difference with the junior BJK Cup? You know, how can we get the young people through Zoom and, and, and learn things and help them with their sport too? help them understand? Because these are the future leaders of tomorrow. These guys can affect their villages, their towns, their countries. Look what Djokovic and the others have done in, in, uh, in Serbia. I mean, it's amazing. And even some of the other Eastern Europeans, what they've done for Croatia or whatever. So, or Montenegro or whatever. These, these players, I mean, they're ambassadors. They have a chance to change the world uh, and to make the world a better place. And um, that's why I always wanted us to be together because I knew what we could do off the court, not just on the court together. And anytime you have a tournament with men and women, 
And now we have, we're not living a binary world anymore either. So it's a whole other discussion. But basically, when you have men and women together, it's a better world. It's better when we're all together. And also a tournament. If you're in business, if you have a men and women at a tournament, if you own a tournament, it's worth probably eight times more when you have both together. Just from a pure business point of view, it's better. Does that make any sense? I don't know. What oh, do you think? A hundred percent. You're, you're preaching to the choir with me. I wonder, though, what's at the root of that? that problem with with current players is it the amount of money involved what's at the root of that focus on individualism it's agents it's uh support teams it's um agents have a lot to do with it um yeah and the players don't really want to learn or think they just want to play tennis and don't bother me and i've got enough on my plate and i do and i totally understand that i understand that um but i think i heard in one of your broadcasts that Federer didn't even know who Althea Gibson was. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, it was that that was from a press conference a long time ago. But yeah, but, but I bet he went and looked it up because he's really he's wonderful that way. He he's very curious uh, person. He's fantastic. Uh, even when he, I remember him out by the broadcast section, you know, at Wimbledon back there in the back there, you know, uh, and him asking questions to like the producers. Um, and all that. And I thought, uh, he's my kind of guy. Yeah. He likes to ask questions a lot. So he was, you could tell he was on a learning curve. I, I, no, I, I just admire him so much, but I, I thought, I guarantee you he'll find out because he's, he's curious. Do you think that Coco Goff and Naomi Osaka and everything we've seen from them in the past 12 months, do you think that could change things? Do you think they could I be proving it that it's possible to, to stand for something and have a great career. Yes. They're doing exactly the dream. They're I mean, not that you dream. didn't prove that, you know, no, 40 but, years no, ago. But, but Every generation has to do it. You build on each generation. I am so excited that both of them spoke, spoke up. I, I am just thrilled because this is what it's all about. This is when I was 13 years old, dreaming about the future and how to help sport and be together equality champion for equality i mean that's been my life works since i was 13 Do, am i happy to see osaka in golf i mean oh i am thrilled i mean i've told them to i've said thank you thank you just keep going keep going for it because just look at the influence they're they're causing for the next generation and even probably two generations if, you know depending on what age groups are listening Maybe they'll touch somebody's heart that's much older and that person will change too. You just, you never know how another person's going to touch your life or how you're going to touch their life. So that's why it's important to pay attention. Um, also, it's starting to happen where just barely, but what they do here in the U.S., when a, when a woman says something or does something, they go, thank you for what you did for women. I didn't just do it for women. I did it for everyone. So until people in the U.S. at least perceive a woman is talk is really leading everyone, we're never going to have a woman president. They're, they're always going to say, "Oh, you're just you've helped women." Like people go, "Thank you for what you did for women's tennis." Well, they never go up to a male and say, "Thank you for what you did for men's tennis." Have you ever heard that? Never will you hear that. They would say to a male, "Thank you for what you did for tennis." And that's what women do also. Anytime you help one person in the sport, you've helped the sport. You've helped everybody. 
the Jews have a wonderful saying, and I'm not, I'm probably going to not say it right, but when you save one person, you save the world. And I think that's a good thing to live by as you go day by day, person by person, that you never know how you're going to touch each other's life. And Muhammad Ali and I used to talk about this a lot. This is what we talked about at, at award banquets when we'd sit next to each other or be standing next to each other. And this is this is the one topic he and I always would talk about is, you know, you never know. That's why you should always pay attention to every human being and be good to them. And, you know, because you just never know how we're going to affect each other. And you want to affect each other in a positive way. You know, I'm feeling positive. I'm really feeling positive today. You know, that's what you want people to feel and think and think they can um, change the world because each person can. They can. Each person's got a chance to make the world a better place. And that, if you live like that in your daily life, it, it's it's amazing how uh, exciting life can be. Wow. Do you think do you think the tools will merge? Do you think there will be more unity? I mean, and what did you think last year when suddenly people were publicly suggesting it as if it was a brand new idea <laughs> that no one had ever had before? That always every generation we go through that. That's okay. I thought, oh well. <laughs> That's been happening forever. And then Roger, because um, Tony Godsick's his um, agent and friend, and, you know, they're like family, really, extended family. And Mary Jo Fernandez, who I think is great, um, I think they kind of told him maybe. And then we, he and I actually talked um, that day when he announced, or the next day probably. And we had a great talk. We were laughing. I said, you know, I said, you know, I always, I always wanted us to be together he says, really? You guys were thinking about that? I said, I was, but I got, the guys didn't want it. I went to them and tried to get us together and tried to explain that we'd be more valuable together. Um, we could help make the world a better place off the court as well, that we're more valuable when, when the men and women are in a tournament, just from a business point of view. Uh, it's, it's good business. Um, and anytime you have good business and the profits go up for everyone, then everybody wins. It's a bigger piece of the pie. But tennis is a challenge because we really only promote the top four men and top four women. And the reason for that is I'll never forget being in the library at Cal State LA when Larry and I were in college. I said, you know, Larry, I want tennis to be a huge sport. You know, I want the men and women to be together. He goes, that's never going to happen. It can never be a big sport, a huge sport. I said, what? He said, it's because of single elimination. He's a biochemist major. So you have to understand where he's coming from. And he's, um, but he was right. As soon as he said it, let's just think about this. After the first round, how many people are gone? 50%. Whoa, that's a lot. After the second round, how many people are gone? 75% of the tournament is gone after the second round. He said, that's why nobody will know anybody with the top players. And I thought to myself, he's right on. That's probably the most important thing I've ever told people in our sport and in people ask me, why can't it be bigger or can't or whatever? And they don't, they don't buy it. It's amazing. They just let it go. But it's the most important thing. Um, so, so would you want there to be more round Robin? Tennis? Well, that's why I wanted, you guys don't like round Robins. I heard you on your podcast, but wait, hey, which is fine. I get it. No, I, I think we should have a team sports season, team season and an other season. And um, team sports is where you can provide more jobs. That's why I, we were so we wanted World Team Tennis to make it. The establishment basically did not want it, uh, which is too bad because that's the one sport. It doesn't have to be our format either, but it's men and women together equally on the court. So if a child comes to watch, he sees equality in action. 
he, he or she or they don't know it, but that's what they're seeing. And that's the most fun way to learn when you're learning and don't even realize it. It's the fun way to learn. So we are presenting the way the, I want the world to be. And that is all of us together and uh, having, but we, but we also can provide more jobs. See, you know, the ATP, and the WTA are always talking about more jobs and all this. Yeah, more jobs, but then you play the 250s, you play the 500, which is great. But when it, now it's all about the majors again, um, which is, I don't, I'm not so sure that. And why are these four countries? I always thought to myself, and I'm a U.S. person, so I love the fact we have a, we have a major, but do you know, I mean, nobody even knows how these majors got started. It was because of Don Budge. He created it and everybody bought into it, which is fantastic. I mean, I, I used to know him. I used to think he was, used to love to sit and listen to his stories and to Jack Kramer's stories. And, you know, one of the myths was you don't ever drink because if you drink, they know you, they got you. <laughs> I remember hearing the two of them talk at the GM mall was in Houston, Texas. I sit there and I go, Oh, maybe I shouldn't drink any water. Then, oh my God, you know that's how these stupid, you know, gonna get a little dehydrated. <laughs> so, uh, but he, but Don Butch is the one that created the majors. He figured that he would be the only player that would take the time because they had to go by ship back in the '30s, and I think it's 1938 he created it. I think I have it right. And he said, "I if I go win each of these four things, we can start calling them majors." And I think the other players will not be able to go. And then I'll have a grand. I'm going to call it a grand slam, which I think maybe golf had already been doing. I'm not sure. So anyway, he created it. Don Budge created the idea of grand slam. You know, winning all four in the year. When, when you know how we talk about these things, I always ask myself, "Well, how did that get started? Who started that? Whose idea was that?" Boom, boom. Most people just say these things and it's just evolved and that's it. That's as far as they go. But you got it. It's interesting, but it's worked out well in some ways, I think, to have these peaks and valleys um, over a season. But I'd love to have with team sports, um, with the team. Also, when you win or lose, you go back out there the next night. And that's how you get to know somebody. That's how you get to know somebody. And they don't have to be the franchise player every time. They can be a role player. They can be, sometimes kids get hooked into names. Uh, we used to have uh, Mona Shalau, who's now Ann, Sh- Sh- Ann Grant. She changed her name. Um, but these two 12-year-olds would come out and go, show them how Shalau. Now, she wasn't our best player on the whole team, but it didn't matter. That's who they liked. And that's what I want kids. I, want, I, I think it's so great when they don't always love the franchise or the superstar. But the way you create this is when they see them enough times to start liking them for whatever reason. Maybe they like the way they wear their uniform. Maybe they like, I don't know. Also, I think we should have names on the back of the shirts. I think it's absolutely a travesty. If I see one more match with both players wearing the same outfit, it is so bad for our sport. It's great for the manufacturer, but how dumb are we? Seriously. How many, I mean, who's who? I mean, I remember sitting in the audience when Lyndall was playing Connors. And I remember everybody around me going, which one's which? Which one's Connors? Which one's Lindell? Now, these are two top unbelievable players, right? And the audience, so everyone in tennis, tennis thinks, oh, everybody knows. People know nothing. Our job is to make it something and make it good for them. Our job is to make the fans excited, to make the sponsors excited. We, if we shoot ourselves in the foot all the time, like we're in the same uniform, can you imagine... I'm, I like, I love football. I mean, your football. 
not soccer. Foot, I mean, soccer, football. Oh, I call the, it football. I call American football, American football. football. Oh, quite right too. Brilliant. Can you imagine, can you imagine if both teams wore the same uniforms? I mean, seriously. I mean, there's actually, a, there is a rule against that. Fine. Because, because logically there should be. Yeah. But what is wrong with tennis not to have that rule? Mm. That has been driving me crazy day one. In team tennis, in team tennis, we put the names on the back of the shirts too. It's just such an open goal, isn't it? At our um, end of year awards show a, a year ago, yeah. back when we could have it in person and everything, right. one of the categories we had was uh, tennis's biggest shooting itself in the foot moment. And I can't remember what one, but I remember uh, the getting rid of the Hopman Cup was my nomination. The one, really? the one combined team event. Yeah, but they don't have uh, men's or women's doubles, which drives me crazy. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate what you're saying. But yeah. um, the reason that works is because they got the top players. Mm, yeah. it's always It always comes down to the top four or five players, okay? And that's what's hard on our sport. And with team sports, we would create franchise players on the team. We'd be creating. We would, if you had a, if you had a North America, you had a South America, each of the continents, basically five anyway. If they, ha- if you had leagues, do you, and if you do the multiples, because I'm always in business side of it, I, you know, I sit and do multiples and all that. You would have thousands and thousands of players having jobs, and we can't do that with tennis. It's tennis, you cannot do it, not at the top level. You know what I'm saying? They would come out. They come out every night. They're on this team, right? So they come out, win or lose, they go out the next night and play a match. So you get to know these names. You get to know them. You're still going to have your franchise players, you know, your super, superstars that everybody wants to see. And, of course, the audience will be bigger on those nights. There's no question. Baseball has that. Uh, you know, football has it. Every, You know that. But these are real sports fans. They belong to their city and their fans. We in tennis are fans of of certain player or two, and usually it's a um, holiday destination, usually. But that doesn't have that ra- that rabid fan base that the other team sports have. That growing up in team sports as a child, um, I think helped me so much to think about. I mean, everything I've done in tennis is to try and make us more popular. But growing up in team sports um, showed me how there's somebody for everybody. Whereas in tennis, you're only talking about three or four. They, the top men and women control the sport, really. And you've got agents now. And the agents also are, are on boards of the WTA and the ATP, which I don't want anymore. You know, it's just we should we should start over because it's it's. And we should be together, which I don't know if we will be. At least we need to work together, if nothing else, and figure it out. Because it's not that easy. The men do have more money. And you don't, I don't, you know, I could see that they don't want to share it with us to a point. I mean, I understand all that. But you could make it so you could figure that out. Um, you um, you don't sound very optimistic about the future. No, I'm very optimistic. You, you are? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm, go- I'm going on you saying we need to start again. This is where my personality gets confusing <laughs> for people. I'm dissecting, bisecting, and trying to figure out how can we make it better through this. But, of course, I think it's great. Are you? First of all, I'm going to say this is a, a golden age of men's tennis. I have never seen Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic are three. No one's ever been as good as they are. Never. 
And every generation does get better, but these three players, and I would love Murray to have been healthier because I think he could have, you know, I always put him in the four, fourth in there. And, oh, God, did you love him? Feminist. Mm, mm, love it. So, anyway, um, no, but Federer, he's magical. Nadal, amazing. I mean, I just, they're both magical in their own way. And uh, Djokovic is, looks like he's probably going to beat them out of everything. But he's so flexible. He's, his tennis, they've all got great tennis bodies, really, and, and they're different. I mean, Nadal's much more muscular and. But you look at Federer's arms, and they're real thin, and it's just his timing is impeccable. He's like ballet to me, and I love ballet, so I love anything with do with movement. Uh, and then um, Djokovic, I mean, I've got some photos of him where, like, the way he stretches and his flexibility and his strength. And they always talk about athletes wanting to have flexibility and strength. Well, Djokovic has got both. He's amazing. I mean, he really is. You, the, some of the things he retrieves – and all of them, all three of them, actually. Um, Federer's getting a little older, so I don't expect him to get to as many. But well, well, on on that subject, I mean that they're all in the latter stages of their career. Federer, obviously, very much more so than than the others. You've got Sir, we've got a lot of aging greats in the yes. game, so we need to enjoy them. We need to enjoy them, but but. <laughs> What can can you you play? You know, late into your thirties and and early forties as well. What what light can you shed on what it's like to to be in that position when your body is not quite what it used to be? It's it's tougher. It's um. This is when you find out when you have the passion to play. If you really have the passion to play, this is when you when the when the rubber hits the road. This is when you really find out how much do I really love to play, because the investment you have to put in just maybe sometimes not to get as good a result is there every single day. So you have to ask yourself, do you still want to do this? Because you're probably not going to win as much, but you know, you can still win enough. It may be depends on what everyone's different and what they need. I mean, I remember talking to Martina or Chris about this. We had long talks about this. Like, should I keep playing if I can't be number one? Because I used to be number one, right? I say, well, how much do you love it? Do you still love entertaining? Do you still love playing? Do you love the entertainment? What do you talk to me? What do you feel? No, I still love to play, and I love to entertain the people. And I said, are you? Li-? I just get asked questions so they can hear themselves. You know, like and I say, well, are you hearing what you're saying? They go, yeah, I do hear what I'm saying. Maybe I will stick it out for a while, little bit longer. And Chris was like that, and then Martina was the same. I mean. I was a part-time coach with Martina when Craig Carden was her full-time coach. And I would come in for the jolts. And one time Martina was beside herself. She was, we were at Midtown Tennis Club Court 5. I can remember the whole thing. Her sitting there, Craig and I standing. And she starts sobbing. And she says, I don't know if I should keep playing or not. What do you think? And Craig said, well, I think you should, you know, yeah, I think you're still good enough to win enough or something and I said well I said I think you're 90 percent I think I think you're about 90 percent of what you used to be and I said I think you're 90 percent better than most everybody else's hundred percent so I think if you still love to go through the hassle and the challenges of working out and training and all that why not and I said if you if you just had one just one tournament that you could win next year what would it be 
if you just made one goal, instead of being piggish and thinking you're going to win all four, just, you know, you have to get a little realistic when you're older. And she says, I want to win Wimbledon. I said, well, that's a good one. That'd be number nine. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> you're tied with Helen Wills Moody right now. Yeah, that'd be good. Okay, that, that's a great goal. So I had her, I had, I said, what I'd like you to do is write down from now until Wimbledon next year. I won Wimbledon in 1990 because this was 89 when we we're talking. I said, just do it like it's fate accompli. Just do it every morning in your journal and every night. But I won Wimbledon in 1990. I said, if you think it'll help you, you decide because it's your life. But I would put that down at the top, you know, morning and at night. For last thing I, I, before I go to sleep. So she did it. And she won in 1990. She got lucky with the draw. She, but we talked about that. You're probably going to have to get a couple of breaks. And uh, Zena Garrison was fantastic. She'd be upset, I think, Groff and Sellis back-to-back, which is amazing. But Martina had her number. I mean, Zena's hilarious when she talks about Martina. Oh, I can never beat her. She's so funny. And so, I mean, so that was helpful, too. But still, you still have to go through it. You still have to, you know, you're given an opportunity. You take advantage of it. And she won her ninth. So it was a pretty exciting day. Very exciting. It was, and it was exciting to be a part of it as a support person. Uh, she had helped me win my 20th uh, back in 70, whatever, not, nine when I went 20. And um, so it was, it was payback also. I didn't think about it at the time, but then later I went, oh, that's good. It's payback. And, and everybody, some people are angry with me for helping her because they go, you should have the record. You know, you shouldn't help her get the record. I go, I don't think I don't. I'm never going to get records in anything because I made a decision a long time ago um, that I wasn't going to win a lot of majors. I wasn't going to win a lot of things if we're going to make professional tennis happen. And to me, it was very easy, very easy answer. Sometimes I, you know, I probably think I wonder how good I could have been if I could have just concentrated on tennis the way the players do today, but that wasn't in the cards for me. And I would never trade Never in a thousand years would I trade my life to say I had a few more majors. Never. Not even, no problem. Do, do you have any regrets? Do you have anything you would change? In my life? Oh my gosh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have just a blanket, I don't believe in regrets policy. Uh, right? I try to. I mean, like the Frank Sinatra song. <laughs> I, have you and all. Um, I, I would say most of the time, but no, I have some regrets. I mean, but, you know, times are different now. I would have a very different life now. I can probably have lived my authentic self. I could have figured out myself, you know, with being gay and trying to figure out who I am. And, you know, when I married Larry, I thought I was straight as an arrow. I didn't think I didn't, I was totally in love with him. I totally in good faith married him and all that. But then things went south and it was really hard. And then I wanted to divorce. He didn't want to divorce. That's tough. Um, we're still friends. Lana and I are godmothers to his two children. He and Nancy's. Uh, which we're very lucky. Sky and Katie, they're fantastic kids. Um, they're not kids anymore. Well, they late twenties now, I guess. Thirty. Um, no, it's very difficult. I mean, I would have had children for sure. I love kids. Um, no, it's been really rough. No, it's been that part, and also, you know, on the, on the tour some of the people started to know what was going on. You know, I was trying to figure out things out and they'd come and say, if you talk about it, we won't have a tour. And so that, that was real easy. I mean, and I was very shame based about it. And, you know, I have an eating disorder. I mean, no, I, you know, I'm, I have a book coming out 
well, I guess next September or whatever. So it'll, it's all in there. All the, all the ups and downs, all the stuff that's tough, but uh, it's getting better. It's so much better for kids who are gay. And, um, but some countries are still seven countries that would kill us. So that's not fun. And then also uh, we want to have the same protections of the law as everybody else. Just like, you know, whether it be housing, whether it be pay, you know, or being able to fire us uh, without any recourse. Uh, I don't like that. I think, you know, we're all human and um, just be good to each other. Really. I mean, it's pretty simple. Be kind of good to each other and, all that, but I would say my my road to being my authentic self has been a very, very long, very, very difficult one for me. I cannot imagine the generations before me, um, but I also was playing tennis. If I hadn't played tennis, that probably would have been easier. Um, also, when you're told if you say anything, there's no tour, that is not a very comfortable feeling. So that kind of like... Um, that's called no pressure. <laughs> no pressure, but a lot of pressure. No, those are the things that, you know, everybody's life is, has their ups and downs. And I think it's the most important thing is to be your authentic self if possible. Well, on that, um, obviously, you know, lots about the Australian Open this time around is going to look and feel very different. Um, the name of the second arena is not going to be any different. Do you think, do you think that will ever change? I don't think so because it's the government. I think people have to understand. One, uh, Craig Tiley's done a great job, by the way, and, and his team of people. Um, I think tennis people are very good in the weeds. Uh, in the weeds, we're excellent. Like with calendars and this type of thing, I think we're fantastic. Well, there's a lot um, of weeds. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Yeah. But it's... Uh, I think that um, we're really lucky to even have a tournament, don't you think? Mm. I, I mean, yeah, I've I've never been more grateful just to just to see a draw, just the draw from Abu Dhabi coming out this week. Just seeing that, well, I, you know, my my heart was singing. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Margaret Court Arena uh, will probably stay because it's the government. The government would have to want to change that because the the government is so helpful to the Australian. They spend tons of money. But I think that Margaret, um, I think it is what it is. I'm not going to change it. I mean, I went down there and I said I wouldn't play on it if I got scheduled to play there. And players didn't say a word. I know what happened. The association said, be quiet, just play. Take the check, be quiet. And I'm like, that was very disappointing. Um, I think there was a lot of gay kids that played on that court. I can tell you that <laughs> a lot of gay players played on it. And I thought, I don't know if I could now, but it's not that easy though. People don't realize the, the pressures that a person has trying to figure out how to be their authentic self and what kind of price and how shame-based, how shame-based things are. And when something's shame-based, it's always going to be an emotional challenge. Well, this is it because you talk about, you say things would be different now. You'd have different choices. You'd make different choices. You'd be able to make different choices. But mm-hmm. we we still don't have an openly male, a gay male player on the tour. Oh, uh, I know. I, I'm sure we do have one. I mean, we have a gay player, but I don't know who he yeah. is. Yeah. So, so what needs to happen for that to to change? Well, what really needs to happen 
if it does happen, is the straight guys have to come out and be very supportive. This is where we can help each other. Um, and if, especially the top players, if they come out and say, this is nothing, just move on. This is great. He's come out. Now he can be free, you know, whatever they want to say. But um, also, they're never asked about their sexuality. Well, maybe they are now, but I know when we were playing, only the women were asked about their sexuality. Only the women were asked about when we we're going to, uh, you know, re- like, are you going to, you know, stop and have babies? And are you going to do this? And I go, do you, do you ask Rod Labor? I mean, don't, whatever you're going to ask us, make sure you ask the guys. And they didn't. It was very, very um, different. And there was a lot of pressure on the women all the time um, because of that. And I didn't, I don't think that's right. But um, I, if, if somebody came out, we, it's, we've got to get behind them and say, it's great. It's fantastic. They were able to come out. Now they can be free. They can be authentic. They can be themselves. That's the most important thing each person can do for themselves. Um, and it's hard depending on their situation, because if they're not safe, if you're not safe, you don't do it. Like I know when I talk with young people about uh, LGBT stuff and, you got to first size up. Are, are you in a safe place? I mean, some families kick their kids out. Oh, it's horrible. They'd rather kill them than let them be feel free or whatever. So it's, it's really frightening. We have more suicides, 40% of, of us. I mean, it's really tough. Do you think the men's locker room at the moment in tennis is a safe place for, for somebody to come out? I've never been there, so I don't know. I'd have to ask the guys. I would ask the guys, though. Ask the straight guys first. You know we're straight. See what they say. Ask Annie Murray probably very good at this. <laughs> he's he's very uh, no, but he's great. He's open. He doesn't care. Just be who you want to be. Um, he's seen Judy Murray. I think is wonderful. She deserves a statue in Dunblane or someplace in Scotland. She deserves so much in and also UK. Um, but she's fantastic. We had the, the freedoms. Our world team tennis team had her uh, be uh, on the with the team and do um, grassroots tennis with the kids and also be on the bench with the players. And um, she's an amazing person and is so funny, but makes it so much fun for the kids. I mean, I went and watched her a couple of times with the babies. And of course there's no net, there's no tennis racket, there's no nothing. And that's how you get them started. And she's, she's brilliant. She's people should really listen to her because she's brilliant. Um, And I think Andy and Jamie, you know, appreciate watching what she's gone through. Um, really appreciate her as a coach, first as a mother, but as a coach, because she's all about play, play time. And if you read her book, I think it's, uh, what is it, Knowing the Score, maybe? Yeah. Is that? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's great on my, book. On my bookshelf over there. Yeah. yeah. But it's a great book because she talks about the kids playing. Like they're wrestlers. They love the wrestling and they'd create these games and you want to teach your children to be, that's how to be creative. That's what you want with kids. So um, I just think she's fantastic. And I would make sure that she has something that um, shows the appreciation. I'd get behind her. I'd give her money to make Scottish tennis bigger because that's going to help UK in the end. I mean, it's just, just we need to spend money on, on grassroots and help get a critical mass of kids. Well, you want that in the UK for sure. Wimbledon's huge. When Murray won, it was just fantastic. When Virginia and Jones, you know, won, um, I was there. I, I, I just think it was, 
you want every few years they have to win something UK prison because um, I always thought it was pretty funny when when it, <laughs> when Andy won he was British and when he lost he was Scottish. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But that just shows our biases, though. It just shows how we are. You know, as long as you're winning, we all got to embrace you. But if you lose, you're not. Well, so I I think um, I don't know. I just I hope every country does well and gets more children playing and also keep the older people playing. It's really healthy. I mean, I just started playing again and I can tell you much happier. Can't move a lick. Can't move at all. I can't get out of the way of the ball. You know, when you're older and the ball's coming straight to you, like straight to you, like if you're just going to catch it and straight it, you got to get out of the way. You know how hard that is? <laughs> it's hilarious. So it's uh, like, don't I just hope. Yeah, but tennis has been so great to me. I have no, I just, I mean, I'm so happy Susan Williams asked me, do you want to play tennis? And I said, what's tennis? I mean, I thank her every single day. I have a blessing list every morning and a gratitude list I go through. She's on every single list because if she hadn't asked me to play tennis, I wouldn't have had this journey. And relationships are everything. They really are. And were you hooked the very first time? Uh, yes. And I knew the this, this first time I went to the park, I hit with Susan. And the first time I went to the park to get lesson, to get instruction from Clyde, I hate the word lesson, by the way. Kids don't like the word lesson. And of course, which sports do it? Only golf and tennis. The others, they don't say lessons. If, in football, they say I'm going to a lesson. I don't think so. What yeah. do they say? I'm going to practice. Practice. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's what I want. Anyway, so the first time I go out, by the end of the day, by the end of the instruction from Clyde, um, I knew I wanted to be the best tennis player in the world. I told my mom when she came to get me. I go, Mommy, Mommy. Mommy, Mommy. I know what I'm – this is it. I'm going to – I want to be number one tennis player in the world. And she goes – that's fine, but you have homework and you have, I go, no, mommy, you don't get it. This is it. And today I would say I found my destiny. But then I said, I know what I'm going to do with my life, mommy. You know, this is wow. it. Because I told her at seven, I said, mom, I was drying the dishes and I go, mommy, I'm going to do something great with my life. And she goes, that's fine. Just keep drying those dishes, you know. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel. And Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live. And you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. 
Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with legends of the game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. I have to ask you about the, you mentioned the Billie Jean King Cup, but I don't think I've had the chance to speak to you about it. Um, Yeah, what does it mean to you? To, to have that cup that, you know, you played the, in the first edition of it, you know, all its history. What does it mean to you? I know it's not new to you having things named after you, but what does it mean to you that that is now named after you? No, I never get used to that. No, I never get used to it. No, I mean, I used to try to get Hazel Whiteman's name on it back over, what, 15, 20 years ago. I tried very hard, actually. I said, no. Then they thought, I think they thought about t- turning doing a person's name for a while there. And then they went from Federation cup to Fed cup. I'm not really sure. No, I'm in shock actually still. I, I kind of pinch myself. I pinch myself with anything that's got my name on because it's a way to have a legacy, which I appreciate, but with Fed, I still call it Fed cup when I'm talking to people. I mean, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. I can't say, (laughs) okay, I'll say, Anyway, I think this is an amazing opportunity because the, the ITF has this advantage all now. I don't know if you know about the strategic plan to have equality for women and to have equality for us, for women. And that's a huge part of why it's such an honor, too, because hopefully I can help get us, you know, go towards that. But I think the juniors, we have an amazing opportunity because it's global. It's a World Cup. It's something we can really, I think, develop over time to help make the world a better place, with, especially with the young people. I'm, I mean, I'm racking my brain. If you have any ideas, actually, you, David or Matt, if you have any ideas what how we can uh, help, I don't know, just make it better for the young people. And then also make it really exciting for the um, people who are going to play on a team. I played in the first Federation Cup in 1963 at the Queens Club. And I love teams. I come from team. If you ever, if you, you're young, so you haven't had to hear me all these years, all I talk about is team. To me, the original nine were a team, okay? We weren't just nine individuals. We were a team of nine people. So I'm all about team because I grew up in all team sports. So tennis is kind of, it was different because it was individual. Um, but I think we shouldn't be keep calling it individual sport. I think that's another mistake we make. Why don't we promote it as we are the one sport that has team and individual? I don't know why we can't get to wrap our heads around that idea. Why not? That's something every other sport doesn't have. We have both. We are amazing. So I know the Ryder Cup for golf, but still, we, could, we have more team events than they do. Okay? And it's a great team sport or a great individual sport. We have, every, we have so much going for us. So – when they named uh, 
Fed Cup after <laughs> me. Um, it's a huge responsibility. I, I always feel responsibility is what I feel with any of these, whether it be the National Tennis Center or whether it be the library in Long Beach or, or the rec park, they named Billie Jean King, you know, these things, they matter. And they, they, people go there every day and I feel responsible to set an example. And more importantly, what can we do now for a legacy to help people now and later? How can we be a beacon of hope? How can we, how can we do this? So BJK Cup Fed Cup is now an opportunity that I'm trying to wrap my arms around that. How can we truly, truly um, make a difference? And I must say everybody there at the ITF is excited or, you know, try to, to make it bigger, better. Uh, I want us to have more teams than football. I think women's football has more than we do. And that gets me kind of gets my competitive side up. I think, uh, I think we had what a hundred and I used to know this is 122 teams this year. Uh, of course, with COVID and everything has been, we have a lot, but I think the soccer had a, or sorry, football had, I think 144. So we have to get it going. We have to be as big. We have to have as many countries as any sport in the world. We have to have as many countries in our world cup. Okay. That's how I feel. Uh, I think, it, I think we are very fortunate that we were not in the Olympics. Uh, I think it's the only reason we have professional tennis or maybe one of the only reasons because we did not have that distraction at the time. I love the Olympics. I grew up, you know, I love uh, athletics, track and field. I love that. It's a huge there. Swimming's huge there. The amateur sports were big there. Amateurs were big. And we, we were in the Olympics in 1900. I think tennis was either the first or second sport in the Olympics in 1900. Um, I'm not sure if I've got the year right. I think it's 1900. But I think in 26, we left our sport. And then because we were not in the Olympics, we actually had time to think about how to be a pro sport. And I remember people say, oh, after we got the pro tennis going, we're not in the Olympics. I can't believe we're not in the Olympics. I said, we will be. And they're going, why? How? I said, you'll see, because we're, because we're professional. We have, the, we have uh, players and we'll make money for the Olympics. Believe me, they will want us. So in 84, we were an exhibition sport in Los Angeles. I was a judge. I went and watched uh, the finals. It was um, Steffi Groff against Golis. Golis, is it, from Yugoslavia? And they only did it 21 and under. But I saw Groff. I'm going, God, she's going to be an alt. She's just amazing when I saw her. And in 88, she won the Golden Slam, everything, right? And um, what an athlete. Oh, she's another all-time great. Really nice person too. Really good person, and she and Andre have a great marriage and great kids. and And their and their son. Guess what? Their son wants to do. He wants to be a major league baseball player. I, I've so heard he's they, he's very good. Is that right? I think his hand eye coordination is probably phenomenal. <laughs> so anyway, I'm I'm hoping the Dodgers, which you know, Elon and I are part owners of the Dodgers, we won the World Series, which is a big deal. That's another thing I used to laugh at growing up. How can they say that the World Series when they only are in the U.S. and they have Dominican Republic, Puerto Ricans, Mexicans in the league. I used to say, hmm, tennis is really a world championship because we are truly global or football is truly global. Even cricket, I think, is only 10 countries. If mm-hmm. I think I've got it about right. Is that yeah, right? It's basically it's co- Commonwealth. But they've got yeah. India. They, once, once you get India, you got it. Um, Money. And then, mm. and then rugby, 
uh, how many people, how many countries are in rugby? Do you know? Not many more than cricket. Than, than cricket, yeah. but it's still a great sport. I mean, Ilana's from South Africa, and she gets so excited with, you know, oh, cricket. Oh, gosh, or yeah. World, world yeah. champions, no? Yeah, yeah I think yeah, so. Yeah, world anyway. champions, yeah. So it's pretty nice. It's, it's good for me because I learn about other sports. Yeah, and, and, wow. start to, and we care about sports, period, for girls, particularly. You know, girls are playing rugby. A lot of they have rugby, and uh, we've been invited to their world championship, you know, their world cup. And then we just went to Australia last year, right before COVID hit, and saw the cricket oh, finals wow. 86,000 people for the women. And the men yeah. were nice enough to give them the men gave them the extra money so they would be equal. So that is really generous. So you're a cricket fan? No, I don't know anything, but I loved it. <laughs> no, I watch it. You I are watch now. it every so often. I watched it when I'm in England when I was young, and what, and I'd watch it there, and then I watch it in South Africa. The one thing I can't stand is a tie, though. You know how they do their <laughs> whatever. What do they call their world championships? But, their, but cricket um, manages to make draws exciting, ties. See? You understand it. Yeah. You like it? Yeah. A draw is, is never – more exciting than in than in cricket, in Test cricket. It's the anyway. only one that has a draw, isn't it? it w- isn't it the only one? Uh, only sport that. Well, football, soccer, you can have a draw. Oh, that's right. I said that. Yes, yeah, but right. in cricket, a draw can be the most exciting outcome. <laughs> You're telling me five days. Of- you're out of your mind. That's so great. I love it. Yeah, I think I think it depends on what you've been exposed to as a kid. I, I'm so convinced when you listen to people, it's so sweet. But I don't know. I just hope that we can make tennis grow at every level. But I know that the only way we'll ever be a sport that knows more than four men and women is through teams. That's the only way you're ever going to know more names because it's that single elimination. You guys should have a whole discussion on that. That'd be hysterical. We, I mean, we, I'm, the list of things to research and talk about next to me is fifty percent, seventy five. It's very okay, long. If you have, okay, just think about how many players do you watch on a weekend? If you say it's just let's say it's one event like the men's, how how many matches you're gonna you're gonna have semis, right? And yeah. you're gonna have a final the next day on TV, right? So how many people do we actually get to watch that in two days of tennis? How many people we have? It's, it's four, four the first day. Yeah, it's four. And then it's two of the same people the next day. Correct. <laughs> so we see basically three to four people. Mm. And that, in, in team sports, you're going to see a lot more people than that. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm sold. Sold completely. But why don't we have the names on the back of the shirt? Seriously. I do, because tennis loves to shoot itself in the foot. I mean, it. I mean, there, I, this, and then, okay, how about the same uniforms? Can we get those things straightened out this year? Yeah. Here's a see. I always think COVID is a moment where champions have to adjust, right? You know, I have two sayings: mm-hmm. pressure's a privilege, champions adjust or adapt. To me, COVID equals time to plan, to think out of the box, not have all these tournaments day after day after. So you can just kind of get a blank slate and kind of like, okay, what? How can we make our sport bigger, better for more people? Or is it okay the way it is? We want to keep it just for a few. Those are the, you got to ask what you want. So I want more people to have the experience I've had to play. It's the greatest sport. You know what I noticed the first time I played? I get to hit, well, if I could have hit, I probably, probably whiffed. But if I could hit 100 balls in 5 to 10 minutes, and in softball, or which would be rounders, I guess, right, or uh, baseball, it doesn't matter, or cricket, 
How many times you actually touch the ball, would you say, as a player, in a, on average in a, in a game or a match, whatever it's called? Few. I mean, a, hand, a handful, you. yeah. But tennis, tennis, I got to hit 100 balls in five to ten minutes. I get to touch the ball five to – I mean, that was amazing. Um, there was another epiphany in a way that, oh, my God, look at this. I played all the sport where I hardly touched the ball. I played shortstop, which you get a lot compared to other positions in softball, and probably five times maybe in a, in a game. And I get up to bat once every nine. You know, you have nine players, so you've got to go through nine each time. Well, like cricket. It's like, oh, do you realize how great this sport is to be able to hit the ball that many times? When you go out to play next time, Catherine, you play, you're still playing, right, according to your – Yeah. You're still playing? Yeah, you and David ba- back and injury permitting, yes. Oh, you have bad back? Yeah, ah. yeah. But, you know, All right. it's manageable. All right. Well, just realize how many times you hit a ball in a short period of time. Everybody in tennis should realize that, how lucky we are to be able to go boom, boom, boom. You know, you keep to hit the ball, and it's like, this is amazing if you play other sports. Just think about it. How many times do we get to touch the ball? You, you make me want to go out and play, but that's not going to happen anytime soon because uh, it's not allowed in the UK at the moment. So we won't dwell for too much longer on that. Instead, um, Billie Jean, I'd love to hear the original nine story from from your perspective, from from the person who led it, from from someone that was there. It's obviously something I've heard a lot about, in particular the, the celebration of the anniversary um, that took place during the US Open, but... But tell me about it from from your perspective. The original nine story is an amazing story, really. That's probably the most important thing in women's tennis that ever happened was the original nine. Yeah. These players, every time, it's so um, relevant today, what we did in 70. You really should do a show on it. You really should. Just We will. You should get some of the other nine because I get too much attention. I get too much credit, um, like Rosie Casals and... Um, Judy, well, Judy Taggart Dalton and Carrie Melville Reed, Peaches Barkowitz, uh, you know, Julie Hellman, uh, Nancy Ritchie, uh, you know, Rosie and I, Rosie's done a lot of the heavy lifting also with me. And uh, so the, the, I don't think they get enough credit. And I think hearing the story and then Gladys Hellman, obviously, because we signed a $1 contract with her. She was brilliant. Larry had written a letter in February at 70 to her. She was on the list when he sent this letter about we need to do something. And Larry was very instrumental. Larry did the bylaws the day we did the WTA, had the bylaws ready so we could have an association by the time they walked out the room. Because we didn't know if they'd say yes, first of all. But he said, if they say yes, we should have them sign and then you should elect your officers. And um, I've got the bylaws right here. So they'll be done. You'll be ready. Because he went to law school at Berkeley at University of California. And uh, so that was brilliant. He never gets any credit for all the stuff he did. And, uh, and we own tournaments. And I think uh, not many players own tournaments back in those days. I'll tell you that it's a huge risk. We, we did things. We didn't care if we lost money. We did things. We're like, we didn't care. We're not always just thinking business, making money. Um, we didn't care. We didn't, we're not like that. We just said, we got it. Like we started women's sports magazine because there was no women's sports and sports illustrated, which is a huge magazine here back in the old days before we had uh, social media, you know, it was all traditional stuff. So those are the th- those, but all these little steps are relevant. But that was a huge step in when the nine of us signed the one dollar contract. That is the reason when they stand at Wimbledon and get equal money that they get a check at a tournament 
that they make the money they do is because of that moment in time when we signed our $1 contract with Gladys Hellman. That is the birth of women's professional tennis uh, for women. And there's three things that we wanted for the future generation. This is what gave us the courage to do that. These three things that any girl born in this world, if she's good enough, would have a place to play, to compete, really not play, but compete. Because they were getting rid of tournaments. I don't know if you know that from 68 to 70. They're getting rid of everything. We were in dire straits, really. Um, and when they did have a tournament, it was 8 to 1, 12 to 1 ratio. I mean, it was terrible. Prize money, terrible. So it was any girl born in this world, if she's good enough, would have a place to compete. Number two, that she'd be appreciated for her accomplishments, not only her looks. And number three, most importantly, to be able to make a living because we've been making $14 a day or $28 for so long. And then when the, we were getting rid of tournaments, we had nothing. We could tell we we're going to end up with nothing. And so thank God Gladys went out and got the sponsors. Thank you to Joseph Cullman, who was the chairman and CEO, because we need male allies. If we don't have male allies, we can't make it because they're in the power position. So we need, we need males to believe in us and to, give us the attention and the money and the investment and all these things. Uh, so we're very, very, the stars were in alignment, but every single player who gets a check today, I don't care if it's in a small tournament at a major, it's because of that moment in time. So it's really relevant to know that story because it counts now. And I want the young people to know that the most important thing about history is that it helps you plan and shape the future. And that's why I love history so much because when I had to make these, some of these decisions because of my knowledge of history helped me make the right decision. And I just remember I used to be sitting at Wimbledon looking at Maria Bueno. I was sitting in a cubicle looking at Maria Bueno or Darlene Hart and all this. And Darlene Hart was fantastic to me. She used to hit with me when I was 13. And I just used to think that why do they want this situation? Why do they want to be amateurs? Why do they like this? This is not right. We need to change it. I I remember 17, 18-year-old just looking at them going, and Maria was wonderful. She was a queen of tennis. She was amazing. I don't know if you realize she was like the queen. I mean, she was the one. And she was the one we had to beat to get for the next generation. She and and Margaret and she were playing first because I was still at college. But, oh, my God. She was amazing. But how can you be happy being queen bee in amateur tennis? I want to be a pro because I know in America, if you're a pro, it means you're really good. Being an amateur means it's a hobby, kind of like a vocation, just fun. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. But guess what? Your job, uh, we wanted more women in broadcasting because every night I used to talk to only male reporters. So when I look at you or I look at um, any other women, I go, I'm glad we did what we did because I think it's provided opportunities and having pro tennis to provide more tournaments, more money. When there's money, there's more jobs, there's more opportunities. So David law and Matt, is it Roberts? Yeah. Because we have all these things happening, there's more jobs for all of you, men and women, but I want women to have the opportunity as well. And now we have to say they's or others. So no, I just want, yeah, it's opportunity. I want, I want everybody like physios, you know, you just go through everything. I used to talk to Kathleen Stroya about it. She's the head of health services at the WTA, and she's been there forever. And I used to, we used to sit in that physio room and just talk about 
what we needed and what the future, what, what do we want to see? What, how do we want to see it? I mean, just to get the women to accept an athletic trainer, do you know who they are? They're the ones that tape your foot and all do all that. I couldn't get, when I suggested that to the women at a meeting, they said, we don't need anybody like that. I get it. Well, actually we do. It'll help us prolong our careers. And if we prolong our careers, you'll make more money. Then they went, oh, now they set up. Well, I said, okay. And then they said, no, we don't want to do that because we have to pay. Because when we started the WTA, we took 10% of the prize money because we had to pay. I said, you guys, we're going to have to. They go, we don't want to do that. I said, we have to. We don't want to do that. I go, I'm number one right now. I'm paying the most. I'm paying X and you're paying. You know, and they go, oh, okay. If you're paying the most, okay. And I go, how about if we try a trainer, an athletic trainer for two weeks? And then you get, we'll have feedback from that experience. Within two days, they're coming back. They're going, oh, how did we ever do it without them? How did we ever? I, oh, I can't believe this. This is amazing. So everything I did with the WTA when I had suggestion was just try it for two weeks. <laughs> just try, just let Renee Richards come on the tour, Dr. Renee Richards. Let her come on the tour. How about if we just try for two weeks within two days again? Oh, she's so great. This is so great. She's so wonderful. Hi, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the way it works. That's just kind of. I mean, Gosh. those are the funny little things. We used to have meetings until four. We had meetings at four o'clock in the morning. I know, but that's. I want. I want the connection to the kids who may be playing Fed Cup or BJK Cup now to understand how they're connected to that and now. What do you, when I ask a young person, how do you want tennis to look five years from now? Because you're responsible now. You're the leaders. You're it. And they look at me like, I don't know. I said, well, now why don't you go think about it? Okay. Oh, okay. Because you got to get them thinking first mm. and having discussions, but they don't usually want to worry about it. Mm. They worry about, you know, about it's, Instagram. It's they're, allowed, they're, they're allowed to work, not worry about it, actually, mm. in a way. But I think the original nine deserves a lot more um, well, yeah. focus. I mean, people get it because they, they hear it, but they don't really connect then and now like they need to. Well, and in the future. We, would you come back and talk to us again about the original well, yeah, nine? If we, we need do to have a, some others too, like Rosie. Yeah. Or you need to have some, yeah. I mean, we'd to, love to. We'd love okay, to. Okay. Every time, every time you see a player win a tournament and get a check, just think about us. Mm. Without us, this would not be. It, it just wouldn't have happened. Maybe it would have happened eventually in a different way, but I wouldn't have counted on it. We weren't doing well. Mm. We could be just like the warm up act, the amateur act is what we could have ended up being. I'm not mm. kidding. It just scares me. Every time I think about it, I go, thank you, God, because it could have been. And then to get equal prize money, that's a whole nother story. That's a long story. I mean, you guys could, could do that. How did we get equal prize money at the majors? How did we get this equal prize money at the major? Didn't used to be that way. In '68, the first year, Rod Laver got two thousand pounds. I got seven hundred and fifty pounds. Oops, oops! Another thing we're going to have to deal with. I went, oops! I went, oh my god! We fought for pro tennis. Now they're going to get rid of us. Oh my god! What is going on here? Ah, uh, it's like God. It cannot. Would you ever have thought in '73? when the U S open gave equal prize money that it would have taken to, to 2007 for the, yes. yeah. Yes. And did you, do you know how we got the 73? Do you know how we got the, do you know how that happened? Tell me, tell me. Okay. In 72, if you read some old clippings, it says we're not, I said in 72, I, I don't think we should, the women should play next year. I said girls even, I don't know. 
we're not going to, I don't think we're going to play unless we get equal prize money. Okay. I said, this stinks. It just stinks that we don't have equal prize money. Now you remember this is 72. This is our second year of our tour, right? We started our first tour in 71. This is our second tour. So I thought I'm just going to say it. I said, it, and I went to the other woman. I said, what do you guys think? And I said, yeah, we, let's just, yeah, Rosie's great. Let's go. You know, few of them. So what I did now, remember by now I own a turn, we own a tournament, right? So now I know both sides. So I realized if I could take something to Billy Talbert, who's the tournament director, he's the guy I would go to and meet. Okay. So I go, okay, what can I take him besides asking for something? So we went around. CeCe Martinez had just done a survey in 70 uh, at Forest Hills with the with the fans about women's tennis and whether they liked us, didn't like us. So she has some really good information, some, you know, data, you know, data and analysis, right? This little simple survey. Because she'd taken a course at college. So I thought, I'll take that. That's good. But what can I do? Okay, if, what counts? Well, money talks. So I went and talked to Philip Morris, talked to Bristol Myers, talked so would you, anybody, or collectively, would any of you be willing to pay the prize money difference? And somebody said, yes. It was Bristol Myers. I said, we'll do it. We'd love to do that. I went, oh, my God. I'm like, inside, I'm like, just, whoa. But, you know, really? And they said, yes. So when I sat down with Billy Talbert one-on-one in 72 during the tournament, just little wooden chairs looking at each other. We're in the referee's little hut on the center of stadium court at the Westside Tennis Club, which nobody sees anymore. I bowled I said, well, there's two things. Billy, we really want to have prize, equal prize money next year. And I'm talking just really softly. We want to have equal prize money. And I've brought two things. I brought a survey that shows that we got much more favorable uh, opinions than I thought. Here's the survey. And this is Cece Martinez did this. Is May Emanuel and her handed it out and these are results and it's pretty good he goes wow that's better than i thought it would be i said so so it was better than we thought and money talks end of got prize money the difference of the total prize money that bristol myers is willing to do he goes what and he's a business guy okay here's a business guy and he played tennis he was a great he was a really good tennis player in the late 40s ted schroeder him all these different players and he's a type one diabetic, okay, which I was, you know, always wanted to root for him because I like that part of him. So anyway, he is in shock, okay. He's like, "Oh my god, you got? Are you sure?" I said, it's, it, "I said, what is it? Fifty, fifty-five, or what?" He goes, "Yeah, about that." I said, "Yeah, that's what they're willing to do." He goes, "Really? Hmm. Okay, I'll get back to you." <laughs> so in the newspaper, I don't know. Whenever I'd have to look at the articles now. Billy Talbert announces women are getting equal prize money next year in 1973. Okay. Boom. Like that. But money talks. You got it's You got to find the money. So anyway, um, there it is. That's why we had equal prize money. And do you know what they, what product they chose? Cause they had different products. Guess what they chose? Ban deodorant. Because I had said the year before it stinks that we don't have equal prize money. So he said, we're going to use ban deodorant because he thought it was funny. So they did. That's how we got equal. That's how we got started because I knew if we could get started, if one would do equal, we have a chance to start, you know, our case. And then if we get the three, the fourth is going to fold. And everybody puts Wimbledon fourth. They're not fourth. Wimbledon was third deciding they were going to do it. 
and the French folded. But because the French came before Wimbledon, everybody thinks the French did it before Wimbledon. They did not. Wimbledon did it, and then the French folded. Okay, so now you have that because you'll you'll be ahead of everybody else because everybody gets that wrong. Okay, Wimbledon was third, and once Wimbledon did, I said the French were fold. Bang, they folded. You got to get the three; it's a magic number. And then the fourth will come along. They have to. They're they're toast. So that's that was that on that. So uh, that's how we got started. And then uh, Larry Scott was amazing behind the scenes. Stacy, all the all the CEOs of the WTA, but particularly Larry Scott was brilliant. And then he got Venus to talk to the committee at the old All England. And unfortunately, it didn't do any good. They said no. Even after she went through her nine-year-old girl, fantastic. They were impressed, but they didn't change. And Larry had told them, if you don't go along with it this time, I'm going to go public. He told them it's not like he didn't. And he went to politicians, fans, business people, boom. I mean, he went to everything and he got public opinion and he just kept pushing it out media wise. And then the heat started to rise. Then it's like that. So, and that's, he's responsible. He is, he was brilliant. And then he signed up for the ATP to be the, the CEO and they didn't hire him. Biggest mistake. So you need people who've got some fire and disruptors a little, you know, a little bit, not too much. You got to be careful. So that's another Equal prize money is a great story uh, for you guys. You can have just a ball with some of this stuff. Gosh, the way yeah, you we, guys are, I can't, I can't believe how you guys get in the weeds and you talk this, and you talk such. <laughs> it's great, and I start laughing. You guys laugh. Oh Honestly, God, we, it, 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 it's been. I mean, look, we've always loved it. It's always been a huge thing. But this past year, eleven months, whatever, it's been a lifeline. It's been everything really to us this this past year. I feel like there was a subject we missed. You know about Bud Collins at all? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. I know Bud was incredibly warm and welcoming to David when he was first, you know. When he oh, was Bud's a the best. Rookie, uh, rookie in the media. When we were doing Tennis Relived last year and watching back old matches, so much of it had his commentary on and it was such a joy. Such a joy. No, but you never got to meet him, did you? No. Oh, you got to, you got to, do you see photos of him with his flowered pants? Yes. Oh Lots of God. photos. Yeah. <laughs> what a character. I met him when I was 15 at the Essex County Club. I split sets with Darling Hard. We're walking off the court for a break. And he's walking with me. And I look down. He's got these Bermuda shorts on. And that were knock your socks off in, the, in his shirt. And Oh, my God. I'm like, this guy's great. He's different. Oh, I like him. He spoke very quickly. Very smart. Just, I knew he was a brain. He was a brainiac. He was smart. And he, he really did boxing in the beginning. Um, you know, he took Karen Hansen me out to dinner after we won the doubles in 61. Um, he says, are you guys going to the ball? I'm going, what ball? What are you talking about? Oh, winners go to the, the, the Wimbledon ball. I go, yeah, yeah. What, what do you, what time? What do you, so do you, do you have a dress or do you have something nice? I go, no, we had $3 left. <laughs> and he goes, seriously? He says, would you like to go to dinner? Great. So we went to this Italian place in Knightsbridge and Karen and I um, were so happy because it was the best dinner we'd had. We'd lived on wimpy bars. We didn't have any money. Lived in bed, you know, like bed and breakfast and six, I don't know how many pounds a week. Um, we got some expense money from the USL, you know, the USTA. I think Wimbledon give money to the organizations and they give you your expense money is what I think they did. 
And Karen was an amazing player. So we were the youngest team ever to win Wimbledon together. We still are. I was 17. She was 18. And she kept saying we'd win before we went over there. And I go, I don't look at the draw. I just do one ball at a time. Don't bother me. She said, no, you got to come and look at the draw. And I said, no, I don't want to look at the draw. You have to look at the draw. So anyway, we won. But uh, Bud taking us out to dinner afterwards uh, was so sweet of him, you know, because uh, that teed up our friendship forever. Gosh. And then he offered us champagne. We don't drink. So he's, he said, great, cheap dates. Great. <laughs> So, but, but when I heard Richard uh, Evans tell his story about Althea, it was great. Yeah, what a story. I did sleep with that book, by the way. I did sleep with the book. Really? I always wanted to be somebody. She changed everything for me. She's my shero for sure. That book is on my to read list by the side of my bed. Oh, you have to read it because mm. it explains what her. She was very wonderful. And I'm so glad Zena and I got a chance to go see her. I took, you know, she, they said uh, Fran Gray was a great friend of hers. She's the one that really kept her going and also asked for money later. We gave money more than it was money more than once. Uh, Mayor Dinkins is another one who just passed away who really helped. He really helped. He's a great guy. So, um, but she was amazing. But when we went out to visit with her, Fran Gray was made it happen because she kept saying, because I used to leave messages for Althea. I just leave a message. Hi, Althea, it's Billy. I'd just love to come and see you sometime. Hope you're okay. You know, that time. And I do that every so often. Just leave a message. Never heard. I thought, oh, crazy. Finally, Francis, she said she'll see you guys. Because I said, come on, Zena, you have to go with. Let's go. So, um, or she did to me, maybe. I don't know. But we got to go see her and talk to her. And I talked to Fran a lot, so I knew what was going on. But it took so long to get that statue. I cannot tell you. I, I think I've been through, I don't know how many presidents of the USLTA to have that something uh, in 1997 when they did the arthur ash stadium all the past champions came it was parade of champions it was unbelievable night Jeannie was there she had john mcenroe speak and i just remember um i thought it would have been nice to have the arthur ash althea gibson or vice versa stadium court because we're 50 percent women we're 50 percent men in our tournament i thought that would have sent a great message if they could have put both names up but didn't happen. I was really, and then Althea wasn't there that night. Uh, I think she was the only one that wasn't there that was still alive, actually. I'm not sure, but that was a great night. But I just thought, but I used to go to every president every time there's a new president. Every two years, there's a new president. Uh, I'd go and sit with them and say, we need to do something for Althea. She was our first, she's our first black player, you know. And then if we ever get the gender part right, all of us, you know, everyone then the world will be okay. Because if we had, if we had equality in the world, it would be a much better world. It would be healthier financially, um, you know, equal prize money, for equal work, all that. We don't have it. And that's what, what Alana and I work on all the time. We go to companies and do D&I work, diversity and inclusion work all the time and trying to get CEOs to give equal pay. And when they say, when a CEO says, I just want quality, that means they're going to do absolutely nothing. So every CEO has a responsibility and they know darn well they can do it. Will it be a hardship maybe to change because you haven't been given the women enough? Yeah, maybe. Or people of color, even worse. You know, white women do better than, than other women. So, but if we get the gender thing, if we got gender, all gender, you know, all of us, it would make, it just would make the world a better place. It's just so obvious. You sit back. It's just so obvious. But people with power do not like to give anything up. They don't like it. Mm. So 
They don't like it. They, Power is everything. They, yep. Money. It's mm. all about money. Same with the game. Usually they choose the money. You make me you know feel legit- optimistic, though, which yeah, I'm very is. grateful for. for. For your generation and the younger ones, absolutely. You guys can do this. And the men can do it because the men are better. The, the millennials and the Gen Z guys are much better. Oh, my God. I'd love to be alive now. With, you know, at your age. Oh, my God. So much better. Yeah. For every, it's just so much better for everyone. So, um, all right. It's been real. <laughs> to be continued some other time. I, I have to see David and Matt sometime. Yeah, well, let, let's. I'd love to do it again and to do a, a proper show on uh, on the original I love nine. Them. They're so sweet, man. They, I mean, they are they are the best people I know. Is your baby uh, trying to get in? Is it, where is Billie Jean? What's her status? <laughs> do you know how funny that sounds? Look at this baby. It's so cute. <sighs> what a doll. Okay. Thank you for naming her. Um, why did you name her Billie Jean? That's so sweet of you. Well, she's going to be the best dog. And well, yeah. you're a you're a hero of mine. So no, I couldn't think of anybody that. better. Anyway, that's so that's so sweet of you. I really appreciate it because I this this dog is really cute. Man. She has no choice but to be great now. I'll send I'll send her back if she's not. <laughs> no, you won't. Thick or thin, you got her. <laughs> Bye, Billie Jean. Bye, Catherine. Billie Jean, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Say hi to David and Matt. I will. I will. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 